today's passage, we're going to talk about making room for God to move. And I'm excited to really study the life of this Shunammite woman who has this brilliant idea to be hospitable and said, hey, this guy is so great. I'm going to make him a room so that he can come by. Um, now, before we jump in, so if you notice, what we try to do here at this church is we try to do, I love New Testament. I can sit there forever, okay? And actually, this January, we are starting a series in 1 Corinthians called Culture Hacking, and it's going to be really good. But what I love to do is do a New Testament, then Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament. Now, here's the thing. Most of us do not know how to interpret the Old Testament, Okay, and it's something that most of us, I actually realize, I misinterpreted the Old Testament most of my life until I went to college and a professor hit me upside the head and said, no, that's not how you do it. All right, so I want to give you a little bit of teaching lesson because Old Testament is so powerful, but we actually strip it away from its power if we just treat it as simply stories. You guys ever, you know, like it's like I want to know the story. I want to know the story of how this happened, that Noah's Ark, all this stuff, and it's great, especially for kids and, and veggie tales to learn the stories. However, it's really interesting, the creator of VeggieTales says he regretted the way he produced the show in the early years because he made it too much about here's what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. And really, it's supposed to point us to Jesus, right? And so uh, let me give you some examples. By the way, never when you're, I think it's smart, when you're talking about the Old Testament, anything, don't refer to the people as characters. You ever think about that? Oh yeah, he's my favorite. What's your, have you ever asked that question? What's your favorite character in the Bible? Character is I think, I mean, maybe I'm just the semantics, but I think it insinuates fiction. You know what I'm saying? Like a story. You come up and here's a character. Okay, well, who's your favorite character? And it doesn't become real life. And what's so helpful, and we're going to look at this today, when we see people as people, when we see David as an actual man who struggled and who was born of flesh just like us, it actually brings out the power of the text so much more. Which have, who, is, who here has ever heard a sermon on David and Goliath? Raise your hand. You ever heard? Okay, you probably heard it wrong. I'm just saying, uh, um, here's why. Most of us hear the story, and it's so powerful, right? You're David. Who is your giant? You ever heard that before in that cool, like, movie theater voice? Coming near you, you know what I'm saying? Um, who's your giant? Slay your giant. So go tell the giant, you know, uh, you know, whatever. I don't even know how the sermon goes, but it's always this. And everybody's like, yeah, I'm David. And we walk out like, dude, you're, you know, they go to your wife. You're my giant. You know, that's usually people misinterpret. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to slay you, you know, whatever. That's actually, for a sermon, it, it makes it great because everybody's pumped. But did you know you're not David? Have you ever heard that before? You're not. What's so cool about that passage is Goliath represents sin, Satan, and death. I'm not even supposed to preach this, but let me preach it real quick. That represents sin, Satan, and death, and there's no way we can conquer it. You, me, okay, we are the people of God, the Israelites, who were scared to death, thinking we will never beat this giant. And David is a picture of Jesus who comes in and says, I will take care of the giant for you. And he's the one on the cross that slayed sin, Satan, and death. Amen. You guys see that? So David is actually a picture of Jesus. You are not David. Can you imagine if you actually start realizing that the Old Testament blows up? But here, here's the temptation as a pastor. It's not as good of a sermon, theoretically, to say you're not David. That's not inspiring. You don't leave the parking lot like... I'm the loser who was terrified. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, woo! When you're a carnal heart, when you're not a believer in Jesus and your eyes haven't been opened to the goodness of Jesus, it gets depressing to think that you're not strong enough. But here's what's so cool. When God comes into our heart and we recognize, wow, I am so weak. 
wow, I can't do this. It is such good news to hear Jesus did it in our place. Amen? And that's what we're going to look at today. It's fun going through this series because I've seen light bulbs turn on, literally. Okay, anyways, um, nobody? Okay, it's much deeper. The Old Testament is not just stories that you know and can share. It actually has so much depth, and it can be so applicable to our life, okay? So in this passage, there's four people. You are not two of them, okay? Two other ones of them, you may or may not be. You're going to be one or the other. You guys tracking? What's so fun is most of us will probably get the people, almost the characters, I'm such a hypocrite, but we'll get the people wrong of who you think you are. Okay, so we saw already, the title of the message today is Make Room for God to Move. We see the Shunammite woman that says, I see this Elisha guy. He's always coming to and fro. Let's make him a house, which by the way, that is a great thing to do for a pastor. So if any of you are just, just kidding. All right, verse 11. One day he came there, this is Elisha, and stopped at the upstairs room to lie down. He ordered his attendants Gehazi, which, by the way, my wife was like, that sounds like a really bad person, Gehazi. I was like, that you watch too much news. All right, so he ordered his attendant, Gehazi, call this Shunammite woman. Which, by the way, she's right. Spoiler alert. Call this Shunammite woman. So he called her, and she stood before him. Then he said to Gehazi, say to her, look, you've gone to all this trouble for us. What can we do for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army. I love how she replies. She says, I am living among my own people. So, so give some context here. The Sunamite woman, she's prominent, she's wealthy, she seems to have everything. And so they're saying, what you just did for me was so good. Can I do something for you? Which isn't the first point, but it's a really good point. Here's what's such a good perspective for us to know. The right intentions always gets God's attention. The right intention that this, this Shunammite woman, she wasn't trying to house Elisha so that she got something back. She was simply saying, no, I just, you're a blessing to me and you're blessing other people. My intentions are pure. I just genuinely want to serve you. And I know we've talked about that a lot, right? No serving without hidden agenda. And so he's saying, I'm just here. And, and, and her answer is, I'm a living among my own people. What this means, I didn't understand that. Uh, as we're reading the commentary this week, it's talking about, by her replying that way, she says, first of all, I don't want to move. I'm happy where I'm at. Second of all, my family's here and they protect me. I don't need anything from you. I'm just here to help you. Which, by the way, I need to stop saying by the way, by the way. But by the way, I just recognize that. It's one of my nervous tics that I didn't know I had. Here's what's so interesting. I think some of us, we don't give without then ask. So many of us, we give, but we're expecting something in return. You know what I'm saying? But, but what God loves to bless, he loves those of us who just from pure intent, I want to give to simply give. I love Second Chronicles 16, 9. It says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. In other words, God wants to bless. He's looking for people who have the pure intention of wanting to make much of God and helping others. Isn't that so good? The right intentions always get God's attention. I think we are too quick to ask others what they can do for us. We as a people of God communicate the goodness of Jesus when we are constantly people say, what can I do for you? But let's keep going, verse 14. So he asked, then what should be done for her? So he actually has this aside moment where he's just talking to the, his servant Gehazi. So Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old. 
I just love this conversation. I feel like Gehazi is just super blunt. Well, did you not notice she doesn't have a son? And look at his, her husband. That's an old man. There ain't no way something's going to happen there. Verse 15, Elisha said to her, call, call her, Elisha said. So Gehazi called her, and she stood in the doorway. Elisha said, at this time next year, you will have a son in your arms. Then she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your servant. The woman conceived and gave birth to a son at the same time the following year as Elisha had promised her. I love these impossible birth stories, which is why we're here, right, celebrating Christmas. But that's another message a little bit later. But here's what's so cool. It turns out that the Shunammite woman actually did have a need, and it is the biggest need that for anybody, but especially in that society. In that society, it doesn't matter how much wealth you have. If you do not have a son, then what's the point? Even if you at least have a daughter, she doesn't have any kids. And this is shameful. This is very disgraceful in this time. Uh, This was your identity. This is everything you have. But I think it's interesting that the Shunammite, she was still giving. She wasn't expecting a child in return because she thought, I'm too past that. My husband's an old man. There's no way for me for this to happen. But I still want to serve. Have you noticed, do you know people who have something terrible that's happened in their life? This is a bad situation for her. She has no son. But I love the fact that she doesn't play the victim. You know, I love the fact that she still finds in her heart, I'm going to still bless people. I'm going to give to others. I'm going to make a big deal about other people, even though I could use all of that energy to feel sorry for myself. Here's a good principle that I think as Christians we need to know, uh, and I think we learn from her. Look, we must sow seeds, you know, talking about giving to others, helping, sharing the gospel, whatever it is. We must sow seeds without ever expecting it to fulfill our own needs. It rhymed, guys. Come on. We must sow seeds without expecting it to fulfill our own needs because that's genuine love. It is not true love if you're giving to say, okay, what am I getting? I love it for Christmas. I always try to like spoil and tell Jordan what I'm really getting her so that I at least know that my present to me is going to be at least that good. You know, nobody. Okay. You know what I'm saying? It's a brilliant tactic. Start it now. But, but that's how, and, and so the Shunammite woman says, no, no, no. I'm not here. I'm giving. I wasn't expecting it. Let me just say the point. The point's even better than that rhyme game. Just look at it, right? Look, we make room for God in the midst of lack, even if we know we'll get nothing back. I think Dr. Seuss is somewhere in my line. (laughs) I just say, but think about it. You'll remember it, hopefully. Look, we make room for God in the midst of lack. This is such a good gospel principle, and I think we're learning it from this Shunammite woman. As people of God, we don't wait until we have everything to give something. That's what we communicated in the month of November with us, right? Giving the turkeys, giving. I I know some of you, you, you're not doing well financially, not because I like, you've told me, okay, I'm saying, but you're still giving. I love that. It's communicating so much to the world. We, as a people of God, make room for God in the midst of lag, even if we know we'll get nothing back. And here's what's so good as Christians, and this is such a temptation. Oftentimes, I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes I have this motive, okay, God, I'm going to give you something, but you better give me something in return. We see it all throughout Scripture, but it's very clear that God is not to be manipulated. We cannot manipulate God. We cannot say, okay, God, because I fasted, because I prayed, because I went to church, now you must give me something. God is not to be manipulated, but he's to be made much of. And we're going to say, okay, God, I don't care if I get something back. That would be awesome, but because of what you've already done for me, I'm going to give so much to you. You guys got it? Look, religion is the worst at this, or the best, whichever way you look at it. Religion, which I'm saying in the bad context, 
We're gathering together. We're memorizing scripture. We're, we're attending church. We're doing all. We're giving not because we love Jesus, but because we want to use Jesus. And we say, "Okay, God, I did all these things for you. Where are you gonna? How are you gonna help me?" That is such an exhausting life. Okay, so that's the first thing. We make room for God. We want to make room for Him to move, and we do that in the midst of lag, even if we know we will get nothing back. All right, now because of time, I'm going to summarize verse 18 through 24. This is what happens. The son, she has the son, which is a great miracle, grows up, goes out into the field to work, and all of a sudden he has a headache. So the, the father says, go send him to his mama, because he's just like any typical dad. I don't know what to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, give her Tylenol, and I don't. So, so they send him back home, and the wife holds her in the very same room that she created for Elisha, and he, he dies in her arms. Can you imagine this? People say she was probably... 12, 13 years old, they're just guessing, we don't know for sure, but he's a boy that just started working and dies, it says, at noon. And if you have a child, I want you to, th- remember, in the Old Testament, we can just like, oh, we know these stories. Guys, these are real people. Can you imagine the heartache of this Shunammite woman? God, the very thing that you produced a miracle, now you took it away? What is going on here? And, and it's really sad, but let's look at verse 25 to see kind of her response. So she actually says, you know what? I'm not going to give up. I'm going to go to Elisha and say, you need to fix this. Okay, I love it. Verse 25, this girl, she's got some grit to her. So she came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God, which is Elisha, saw her at a distance, he said to his attendant, Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite woman. Okay, run out to meet her and ask, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your son all right? Uh, which I think it's so funny. Look at the whole story. Elisha never wants to talk to the woman. I think he's like most average dudes, like <gasps> a girl. You know what I'm saying? Because he's like, hey, Gehazi, go ask her this. You know, it's like I could just picture Gehazi. He's going back and forth like, okay, hold on. What did you say? Okay, this is what I said. Oh, wow, that's a bad response. Tell her that. It's just like, okay, just let him walk 20 more feet. You know what I'm saying? So this is what's happening. I think it's so fun. Um, run out to meet her. Is everything all right? Like, is everything okay? And she answered, everything's all right. We're going to talk about this later. Was everything all right? No, her son just died. But that's going to be, we're going to talk about the end. It's going to be so good. We're going to have music playing and everything during that part. It's going to be awesome. Verse 27, all right. Verse 27 says, when she came up to the man of God at the mountain, she clung to his feet. Gehazi came to push her away. He doesn't like woman. You know what I'm saying? Push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in severe anguish and the Lord has hidden it from me. He hasn't told me. He's saying, I don't know what's going on here, but she's obvious. I mean, come on, Elisha. Way to go, Sherlock. Of course she's in anguish. She's crying at your feet, you know. But anyways, <clears throat> verse 28. Then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Didn't I say, do not lie to me? He's saying, I didn't even ask for this. You brought this miracle, now it's taken away. So Elisha said to Gehazi, to Gehazi. Remember, she, he never wants to talk to the woman. Okay, so he goes to Gehazi. Come back here because I'm nervous. Um, he says, Tuck your mantle under your belt, take my staff with you, and go. So think of like Gandalf, you know what I'm saying? Like taking a staff and just like running in this cool mantle. Okay. If you meet anyone, don't stop to greet him. And if a man greets you, don't answer him. He's like, just be a jerk the whole way. That's what he's saying to him right now. Then place my staff on the boy's face. So Gehazi, he's another person we're learning about. Gehazi is Elisha's apprentice. The same way that Elisha was whose apprentice? Elijah. Elijah. I, whatever. I'm glad we're not talking about him anymore because I could not say that name. Elijah. 
And so Gehazi, as we can see in this text, he's young because he tells him, hey, go run ahead. So obviously Gehazi's this in-shape guy who can compete in track. And he's saying, okay, I'll go run ahead. I'll run back and forth for you. His job is to be, you know, uh, his servant for Elisha to do whatever. But in the same token, Gehazi is of pretty high status. Gehazi is like vice president. You know, you have Elisha, the man of God, but then you have his right-hand man that does things for the man of God. And so he is a, you just have to recognize, he's a, in this text, people would say, oh, oh, it's Gehazi. Let him in, right? He's a man of God. We need to know that, okay? So now he's saying, Elisha's saying, you're a man of God. Go do this work. I need you to go take care of, of uh, this boy for me who just died. Verse 31. Where am I? Gehazi went ahead of them and placed the staff on the boy's face. But there was no sound or sign of life. I always wonder how long did he wait, you know? Because he says, so he went back to meet Elisha and told him the boy didn't wake up. You know, I wonder if he just like laid the staff and just like sat there and played like Tetris on his phone a little while. And then like, how long is this? No, kids, Tetris was not a thing back then. But anyways, so put it on. He's like, oh, maybe this guy's got a big head. How do I put it on? Whatever. I'm not trying to make fun of the Bible, but I'm just saying it's real life. How do I? Okay. And so he's like, okay, I'm done. 15 minutes. It's not working. So he takes a staff and runs back to Elisha and says, bro, you did something wrong. Your staff, there's something messed up here. The boy didn't wake up. Um, and so, okay, where, I'm so lost. Okay, uh, <laughs> so verse 30, the boy's mother, okay, didn't I, okay, blah, 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 blah. I am, I'm on it now. Verse 30, the boy's mother said to Elisha, as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead of them, placed staff on the boy, and said, boy, didn't wake up. Verse 32, when Elisha got to the house, he discovered the boy lying dead on his bed. I don't want to skip this part of the story. Gehazi, this man of God who has all this promise, who's going to do all these miracles, absolutely failed in a moment where he could have shined. The moment where he could have said, we actually know in chapter 5, Gehazi really has the spirit of wanting to show I am better than Elisha. We'll talk about that a little bit. But, but he's saying, okay, this is my moment. And what's interesting, he literally did everything that Elisha told him to do, and yet it still didn't work. How come? You guys ever have that in your life? God, I did everything you asked of me. I've prayed. I have fasted, I have given, I have been reading the scriptures, I have been fellowshipping, I have been helping other people, I'm doing all these things, and yet this terrible thing is in my life, and you won't give me an answer as to why. You guys ever feel that way? Why, God? I've done everything right, I am serving you, I'm exhausted, and yet you have not shown up. I can't tell you how often I have felt that way. There's been so many times where it's like, okay, God, I feel like you look at the books, look at everything I've done, we should be doing something more than this. You know what I'm saying? God, you should have shown up by now. What is going on here? And it's exhausting. And think about Gehazi, that run back to Elisha. What a shameful run saying, wow, is this what I'm supposed to do with my life? Because I had my one moment and it didn't work. And what's so hard is because we feel helpless because it's like, God, you need to do something or it's not going to work, but I'm going to try to do it for you. It's this terrible thing. Well, we actually know, I think we see, why it didn't work for Gehazi, and I think it'll be encouraging to us. Gehazi has the wrong spirit. If you read ahead in chapter 5, Gehazi, he actually tells someone, he says, hey, Elisha didn't know how to do this, but I know how to do it. Elisha was wrong, but I'm right. Eli uh, Gehazi has a spirit of says, look, I work harder, I'm smarter, 
I speak better. I do everything better. God's going to use me more than he's ever used Elisha. You see how that spirit is the wrong spirit? He's saying it's about how good I am, how much I have done. And I realized in studying this text, most of us would think, okay, who are you in this text? Are you Elisha, right? Or are you, what, the woman? Maybe we would think about that. We're actually one of two people in this text, but it's not Elisha because we'll see in just a second that Elisha is actually a picture of Jesus. Here's, the, here's what we need to know. When it comes to God bringing forth miracles in our life, we have one of two options. We can either be like the Shunammite or we can be like the servant. We can muster up strength for God like the servant or we can make space for God like the Shunammite. Do you see the difference there? It's real good. This is about to preach, guys. This is so good. I was hunting this week. Well, hunting me, no, I wasn't killing. Let's just say that. We, we, all the Bambies are alive right now, thanks to us, okay? But anyways, and I was thinking through this passage, and it clicked. Because I was thinking, okay, God, how can, how can you use us like Elisha and blah, blah, blah? And it was just like, duh, Trey, wow. And I was so convicted. Because I realize, I, was, I'm, I really relate with Gehazi. I relate with him more than I should. I was thinking about Gehazi and how hard, I, I think he thought he was doing all the right stuff. I, I think he was saying, God, I'm trying to do a great work for you. God, I'm try, I, I've seen you do great things. I want you to use me to do great things. So I'm going to run for Elisha. I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to take that staff. I'm going to put it on the boy's head. I'm going to do everything I need to do. But God, how come you're not showing up? How come it's not working? And I have felt that way. I don't know about you, but it's like, God, I just have big expectations of you, God. Why hasn't that happened? And it gets frustrating, and it gets hard, and it gets discouraging. And, and I have to repent before you. There's been things in this ministry that I have worked my tail off and tried so hard to make it work, and it didn't work. But I realized it was because of my perspective, because I kept thinking for some stupid reason that if I worked hard enough, then God will do a miracle. That's not it. This is what, this is what I, well, I was hunting. Praise Jesus for hunting, right? In the middle of hunting, I, 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 I actually had my phone. We were like looking for elk. I threw everything down, grabbed my phone. I said, this rhymes and everything. I'm putting this sucker in. Thank you, God, for this word. And he was telling me, look, Trey, it's not about you making it work. It's about you making way for God to work. You see that difference there? It's a world of a difference. It's not about you. It's not about you finding the staff and doing all the right things. That's not it. Because you have this disposition of, okay, God, I got it. I have the strength. I'm going to show them. I'm going to, man, thank you for making me so talented. I'm going to bring the word. But God doesn't show up to Gehazi. He shows up to a woman, which I'm sorry, woman, but back then they did not. Nobody looked up to them. And they're saying, look, I'm going to show my power because why? The woman's disposition says, look, it's not about me. But I know how powerful God is. So I'm going to, I'm literally making room in my house for him. I'm making room for him to work. In fact, I'm making room in the midst of this death. I know that God is going to do something. So I'm making room for him to explain it to me. You know how I know you're not Elisha? I'm just kidding, like, what are you supposed to answer there, Trey? Because of verse uh, 33. Look at verse 33. So he went in, closed the door behind the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. 
I love verse 34. Then he went up and lay on the, on the boy. He, oh, he put mouth to mouth. Praise Jesus. He doesn't work that way anymore. You know what I'm saying? Hey, pastor, come over. You need a, no. <laughs> you know yeah, he, he, he's meant to be dead. You know what I'm saying? Like I would, I would do something else. Okay. Wow. Okay. He's put mouth to mouth, eye to eye, hand to hand. While he bent down over him, the boy's flesh became warm. I'm sorry, but that is such a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for you and has done for me. What we see here is he's literally saying, okay, Elisha saying, I take my life instead. I'm going to literally be exactly over him because God, when you look down, I want you to I want you to do it to me, not to this boy. I want you to kill me, and I want you to bring life to this boy. Does that not sound familiar on the cross? On the cross, Jesus laid over us all to redeem us. Eye to eye, hand to hand. I won't go to the rest. You know what I'm saying? But he did that for us, and he's saying, that's what's so beautiful about the gospel. The gospel, Jesus, look, God looks down at us, and he sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus when he looks at me. Because Jesus covers me. You're not Elisha. You're not the one covering people. If you are, we're going to tweet you out and you're going to be found. You know what I'm saying? But, but God, what Jesus does, he covers us. That's what Elisha's doing here. I think that's such good gospel. And it's so fun for us to say, be Elisha. Go outside today and lay on people. No, no. You know, go and do something great for God. Bring people back to life. Have the boy. All of a sudden, he just starts feeling warm. But when we do that, trust me, I've been down this road too long. When we say, be Elisha, be Elisha, we go out, oh, I'm going to be Elisha. Who, who do I bless today? Oh, man, you're so lucky that I'm here. You know, when I touch people, people's cold skin becomes warm. You know what I'm saying? Uh, just come here. You know what I'm saying? That's what I say in my wife. Anyway, uh, so, but we all wind up like Gehazi. You know where Gehazi was in this moment? Probably in the corner, tired, exhausted. He just had to run a lot. And he feels, he feels humiliated. And he's thinking, God, why didn't you use me? God, how come this, why did it happen this way? And God is saying, because you aren't Jesus. This is, you guys see that? It's so good. We have an option here. We can either be the servant or we can be the Shunammite. You're not Elisha, get over it. And you're not the dead boy because you're alive. You know what I'm saying? So this is good stuff. Look. Not only did God, I want to be like the, I thought this would be a good tweet. I want to be like the woman, you know what I'm saying? But I want to be a woman. No, I want to be the Shunammite woman because not only, we see here, she made room for God. She not only made room for God in the midst of her lack. She didn't have a son, but she didn't, she didn't expect anything back. You know what I'm saying? Whatever, all right? This next one does, yeah, it does rhyme. I'm good. Okay, so, but she also makes room for God in the midst of loss. It's, it, I can kind of understand, okay, God, you're going to make a way because I don't have anything, but I trust you. But when you get something that God gave you down from heaven and then he takes it away, you know how hard that is to still make room for God to, to make a way? You know what I'm saying? You know how tough that is? This is amazing. I love, uh, actually, I, I've been liking the CSB, this new translation, but I hate how, it's, uh, how it uh, uh, translates verse 26. In other versions, they say, is everything well? Are you doing well? Is your husband doing well? Is your son doing well? And she answers, all is well. It is well. Everything's going well. Why would she say that? Why would she lie like that? 
You know, it's a really trendy to be like, you've ever had somebody like, how are you doing today? And then they like, don't say great. They actually like say how they are. It's like, oh shoot, I didn't plan for this. You know what I'm saying? Like, just say great and move on. I got, I got to go get some waffles, you know, like whatever. Like, wow. Which by the way, at this church, you can totally say how you really are. Just don't do it right before I preach. Cause then I got to sit there and uh, music's got to, anyways, this moment, how come she lies? I don't think she lies. A lot of people think, okay, clearly she was just ignoring the pain. She, she, wasn't, she was just not thinking about it. No, I think she knew about the pain. Are you kidding me? A mom knows the pain of losing her son. She knows the pain, but also, she also knows that God has a plan. See, she doesn't want it. She says, look, my scene right now, my little clip of my life, it's terrible. You do not want to be me right now, but this isn't my whole story. I got life left, so it's going well because I'm making room for God to explain. I'm making room here because to me, it looks terrible, but maybe God has something. And so I'm not going to shut him off right now. I'm making room for him. And I'm saying, God, everything is well right now. Everything is doing okay. Cause I know that you were good and your love endures forever. And you always have what's best for me. We make room for God in the midst of pain because we know he will eventually explain. That's why we do it. And the thing about this is some of us, we will never know why God does certain things to you until heaven. But eventually, it's, it's all going to make sense. I love hearing those testimonies over and over again, right? It's always, I thought everything was over, but now God actually used that very thing to bring. And some of us are in the middle of that pain. I ask you, can you make room for God? Can you say, you know what? I don't get it right now, but I, okay, this is good gospel. Because look, here's what the world says. The world says, um, man, we don't know what to do with pain. Uh, ignore it. Just don't think about it. Think about everything else. Think about unicorns, you know, whatever. Think about happy stuff. Don't think about what's actually happening in your life. I love that Jesus equips us where we can actually be realistic about the pain that's going on in this world. We can name it and say, look, that is bad right now. That's, that's Christianity. We're, we're real. It's super real. In fact, it's why we fight against injustice. It's why we want to make the city better. And I think what's so good is God, he actually resurrects this boy. How come? Because God cares about your pain. And there's times where he says, you know what? I want to bring this boy back to life because I care about pain more than you do. God's not insensitive. But I love, though, even though we don't ignore the pain, we also, we have peace in the midst of the problem. We know there's a problem. It's bad. But we also have this weird thing called peace in the midst of the problem. It's super weird. I, I know I've, I've seen people on TV, like, you know, they lost their kids or whatever's happening, and they're like, count it all joy. And I've seen people like, how could you say that? I'm like, Brett, friend, you haven't met Jesus. Jesus does this weird thing where you know it's bad, but you also know it's real good. I think it's so good. Look, I love it as well. I, I text Chaz and said, bro, we need to do the song It Is Well, because it's from this passage. It is well. You guys ever heard, heard that hymn before? It is well with my soul. Chaz is so cool. He made like a cooler version of it, but that's the old school one. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, what's really cool is I actually was studying and I, and I actually read the story about this guy. He was a businessman living in Chicago. His family decided to go take a trip to Europe. And he was actually, because he had this business, he couldn't leave when his kids and his, and his, and his wife left. So his wife and his four kids, four girls, I can feel the pain, you know what I'm saying? But went and started going to Europe. So they get on the boat, four days into the journey, they run into this Scottish big iron, whatever, I forgot everything else it said, this big, huge boat, and they, they, 
the Titanic 1.0 happened. You know what I'm saying? And everything is crushed, and they're running, and, the, and, and it says that the mom got all four kids together, standing on top of the deck, but then the boat started sinking. And things happened, and everything it was freaking out, and it turns out there was a guy, a lifeguard-type guy, looking around, and he saw the mom, the wife, grabs the wife, and she is frantic, where are my kids, where are my kids? They never found the four children. They were, she was completely distraught. Mind you, these, this couple were believers in Jesus. She wrote back a letter to her husband that's living in Chicago and says, how come it was my life? Why, why, why couldn't my kids have lived? And she actually, their pastor, because their pastor consoled her, quoted her and, she, and, and said, he, she said to her pastor, look, God gave me four daughters. Now they have been taken from me. But someday, I'll understand why. I love it. It's the same faith as the Shunammite woman. Guys, we make room for God in the midst of pain because we know God will eventually explain. But friends, we need to be the people that make room for him. We can't shut him off. And I love that Mr. Spatford is his name. Spafford, excuse me, wrote this hymn in his deep sorrow on the way to finding his wife. He says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Guys, we have such a great opportunity for God to do miraculous work among us. And we can either go by it by Gehazi, the servant of, I'm going to work so hard for you, God. I, I'm mustering up all the strength in the world. But we're going to be exhausted. Nothing's going to happen. And we're going to look really stupid. Or it could be like this Shunammite woman. God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't have a son. But wow, I've seen you work, so I'm making room for you, and I'm going to let you work. For some of us in our marriage, nothing's working. I'm trying so hard. I'm fighting for it. You know what, God? I haven't prayed enough for it. I'm making room for you, God. I have tried everything, but God, maybe you have another way. God, would you bring something else? I'm going to make some room in my mind. I'm going to make room in my heart for you to come in and explain this situation. Finances, everything is struggling. I don't know what to do. Instead of me trying harder and harder, God, I'm making room. Maybe I just need to give more, and somehow in a crazy way, you're going to give more in return. I don't know. I'm not expecting anything back. But God, I need to make room for you and trust you. I need to stop relying on my power. It's about his power. I think it's so good. Guys, in Christ, in Jesus, it is well. Because it doesn't matter what pain you're going through temporarily, we have the joy of being in his presence for eternity. And everything that's happening in your life right now, it's going to look like a little blip. You'll be like, ha, it was so good because I have Jesus and I don't need to worry about that. Like, yeah, it's painful and I'm going to cry over it. But man, God, I know I have some life left and I can't wait to see how you use it because I'm making room for you in the midst of lack, but I'm also going to make room for you in the midst of loss because what else am I going to do? I don't got the power, but you do. And God, you are so good and I'm going to keep sowing seeds, not just because I want something, but because you are good enough and you're loving and that's the only thing I can do in return. This is the power of the gospel. Let us cling to Jesus. Let us, like the little boy, have Jesus completely cover us so that we can have life. And the last thing, I promise, you know what the boy does when he wakes up? He sneezes seven times. 
Isn't that not hilarious? And he woke up, and it's like epic moment. Can you remember Lord of the Rings? Like this great, and a choo, a choo, a choo, a choo, a choo, a choo, a choo. Was that seven? I don't know. But you know, what? Like, what? He's awake, I guess. But does anybody have a napkin? You know what I'm saying? Like, ew, that smells like death. You know what I'm saying? Like, whatever. But you notice that's how God does miracles in our life. It never really turns out the way we think. Your God, some of us, God has shown up in your life, but it showed up as a sneeze, and you're thinking that's really not God. Friends, we need to recognize God does some crazy things in a crazy way, and he works, and his miracles are messy. It's how he works. When we need to praise God for those messy miracles and say, God, let me sneeze seven times. I'm a fast sneezer, by the way. I do that. I really, I'm like, I'm a boy. Anyways, God does that. And so many, we put pressure on God. We put pressure on ourselves. When the boy wakes up, he's all of a sudden going to start quoting scripture and hovering. I don't know. No, he sneezed. That's how God works. 